Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. You must listen to the open loops, a theme park for absurd beliefs and systems of integration between the mind and the creative spirit. Open loops. Judy, Judy, Judy. Whoa, what, Mary? This is a fun one. Hello, everybody. It's Catherine Hepburn. No, it's not. It's Greg Bornstein. Welcome to Open Loops with Greg Bornstein. Conversations that. Bend, a late night talk show for the shamelessly fringe. Yes, I am your chief looper, consciousness disruptor, and cultural hypnotist, Greg Bornstein. What am I doing here in this episode? Something fun, something very fun. Hollywood, hooray for childhood. This episode will ruin childhood. That's right. It'll ruin your childhood if you watched Hollywood films and loved them growing up like I did. As a matter of fact, though, I always knew that these people were flawed. That was the fun part about it. You see... This show, Open Loops, which I'll tell you what that means in a second, why why it's called that and whatnot. This entire show is about intellectual escapism. It's about balancing the fantasy with the reality, understanding that beneath what's pretty and beautiful and fantastical, the dream sense, the sense of wonder... They're mechanisms that make those things work. And understanding those mechanisms allows you to appreciate those things even more. Now, for those that haven't listened to this show before, my goal is to challenge your existing belief systems with radically unique ideas designed to stimulate your unconscious mind and force you to step into the highest version of yourself. How do we do that? By talking about these wondrous things magic hypnosis the supernatural the paranormal the conspiratorial the glamorous the mystical the esoteric the secretive the mysterious and of course the biggest questions of them all who and what we really are who and what we really are well who and what we really are is part of what the big media companies have told us 
we are, or the contrast between the fantasy and the reality. That's why I've always loved Hollywood. That's why I've always been fascinated by movies and TV, the way it reflects the psyches of who we are. It also manipulates us to want to be something else. A lot of agendas in these films, a lot of agendas in classic advertising and the archetypes of the all-American hero. and This stuff gets really, really interesting. And I'll tell you right now, what I find radically unique about my guest, Donald Jeffries, is that he was one of the first people really investigating publicly the JFK assassination in the mid-70s. So, when I saw that he had written this book on borrowed fame, all about corruption in the entertainment industry, the classic era of Hollywood, the Hollywood I grew up worshipping, had to have him on, had to hear the stories about these flawed stars, Marilyn Monroe, Cary Grant, Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, Judy Garland, all these great people. Benny Hill, Alfred Hitchcock, Louis B. Mayer. Great names discussed in this episode, and great names that are humanized. To me, what's radically unique is humanizing people that you have the fantasies for to bring proper balance and perspective, or to completely ruin your perspective of these people. Now you have to deal with the cognitive dissonance. See them on the screen, know who they really are. It makes you grow. You can't just have the flat image. The flat image is beautiful, but once you flesh it out, then you have a very different experience watching these films and, well, understanding yourself more, where the illusion meets reality. Donald Jeffries, such an encyclopedia of knowledge about the film industry. I loved this interview. I loved it. He, he was nonstop with the entertainment facts. I mean, this is the stuff that, if I knew this stuff going into acting school, wow, I, I would have been triple more excited to go to acting school if I knew this stuff. Trust me, it sounds kind of fun. Well, not the suicide drugging and non-consensual parts, but, but, but making those great pieces of art in the studio system... Donald's absolutely right. Many of those movies still hold up today. This episode is a tribute to the great flaws of show business. If you enjoy conversations like this, conversations that bend open loops, please make sure to share this podcast with your friends, your family, any extras on set that are overworked and complaining about it. This is a good thing to listen to for that. And by the way, make sure you follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts and rate the show and leave a review if you enjoy it. I was so pumped that Donald came on the show ready to understand the dark side of cinema. Donald Jeffries is here. Enjoy. Today on Open Loops, 
we have Donald Jeffries, researcher of all things, shall we say, shall we say taboo, controversial. Uh, he's been researching JFK assassination since the mid '70s. So, I mean, really, you've been you've been doing this stuff before it became uh, before conspiracy theories became this buzzword everybody throwed around. Um, and your latest work, your your book on borrowed fame, money, mysteries, and corruption in the entertainment world, turns the lens on something that has brought me so much joy throughout my entire life is is something that I've always loved, which is uh, Hollywood and really uh, the way we glorify Hollywood and, and some of the hidden stories and the mysteries and the deaths and and a lot of a lot of interesting stuff. Donald, thanks so much for coming on the show. No, oh, my pleasure to be here, Greg. Thanks for having me. Yes, I, I it's such an honor. You know, I I am very curious. Uh, did you growing up have a love of of hollywood too or or did this co interest come later in your researching journey no absolutely and i i had a bit of a uh, different childhood uh i i was uh, my parents were very old when i was born especially for that era so everybody thought they right. were my grandparents and in fact in fact they were grandparents when i was born my sister is 19 years older than me and she is my biological sister and uh, she had a kid before i was born so you know, I I was almost like an only child because all the siblings were gone, and so I had a I spent a lot of time. I have I have a creative mind. I had an imagination, so I was writing from a young age. And uh, you know, the old films appealed to me. You know, my my dad especially. You know, used to have them on, and uh, I started knowing who you know Clark Gable and Spencer Tracy. All these people were when I was way too young to be knowing that. Right. And, uh, and I, I mean, I, I mean, I, so I knew about, you know, when I was, I was a huge fan of Manhattan Melodrama, you know, 1932 with Clark Gable, William Powell and Myrna Loy, uh, probably before I was 10. And you know, wow. I, I remember getting, you know, wild, wildly excited every year when at that time it was a big deal. King Kong, the original, the 1933 movie, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. They would show that once a year. And I would just, you know, it was like a, a huge occasion. And uh, they would show The Wizard of Oz once a year as well, another one of my favorite movies. So I, I was a, I was a real big fan of uh, of uh, of old films. So I yeah I I knew a lot way more about it than most kids of my generation did. So it wasn't that yes. much of a step for me to to start even learning more later when I became uh, you know. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally, I totally resonate with this. I mean, my father used to put on the Marx Brothers movies on Saturdays with me. Uh, the Stooges were big, the Three Stooges growing up. I mean, I, I love those classic comedies, but also The Wizard of Oz is still one of my favorite films. And even I remember, and uh, I've talked about this on previous shows, going to what was MGM Studios in Florida. Um the tribute, the tribute to Hollywood, the golden age of Hollywood, and now it's Hollywood Studios. Um, I I remember, though, that my mom said to me one year, we went there, she said, Greg, this Disney representation of Hollywood is much nicer than it is now. <laughs> it's better than it actually is. This fake one is better. And I'm wondering... In terms of your relationship to the way you view Hollywood now after looking at this underbelly, which we'll get into the specifics of, here's my question. Do you think, Don, that there ever actually was this golden age, or was it all the stuff of mythology? 
Oh, no, there was, you know, even when I'm writing about all the unfairnesses in Hollywood, how many people got ripped off, how the studios really did own the actors, and uh, they treated a lot of them terribly. And, you know, people like Bela Lugosi was wildly underpaid. You mentioned the Three Stooges. People, I, you know, during the course of writing this book, I touched base with a lot of people. I talked to Mo Howard's son and his daughter during wow. the course of the show. And I also talked to Curly G, who is, uh, he goes by Curly G. He's Curly Howard's grandson. He's, he does a pretty good Curly imitation, too. But uh, he's trying <laughs> to kind of resurrect the act. So, so uh, those guys, you know, the, the, the inspiration for the book was, so the three studios, I certainly, because as a kid, as a baby boomer, I watched them. But, you know, you don't realize as a kid that, these people, Curly, my favorite, and everybody's favorite pretty much, was long dead, unfortunately, had a very tragic life. And Mo and Larry were like hawking t-shirts on a local channel here. And, uh, you know, they got nothing for those reruns. And at the time, I didn't realize that. And uh, the Little Rascals, of course, became very popular as well. And the, the inspiration for the book was Spanky McFarland, who was my favorite member of our gang, who yeah. uh, died a very bitter man. He died a very bitter man. And I remember being touched by seeing him. And I and just having empathy for wow. As a creative person myself, I kept thinking, you know, you you create an iconic character. We at the time we had a restaurant around the corner from our townhouse. We were first married. We called Spanky's Clubhouse, and it obviously was his likeness and the, and the his fellow little rascals. And he, uh, you know, that incensed him, and I can understand why. You know, there and there was another restaurant with Spanky's Clubhouse that uh, he was. Uh, you know, suing uh, before he died. And uh, there was another one in Florida that a friend of mine uh, talks about that he goes to all the time. So uh, his likeness and his name was all over the place. He got nothing out of it. So that really, I said, man, I wonder, you know, how prevalent this is. So I started looking at it and then I contacted a lot of the members of uh, bands back in the 1960s that people might not remember now, but, you know, I, I, you know people that were in bands like the Trogs who a huge hit with Wild Thing, uh, the Buckinghams, right. uh, the, the Cowsills, Ventures. I talked to members of those groups. Uh, Herman, Herman, Peter Noon from Herman's Hermits. People right. like the Brokel Harem. And it was always the same story pretty much from all of them. You know, what royalties? You know, they sold millions of records. And I said, wow, there's a story here. And it, it, I kind of dropped the idea for a while because I didn't get enough feedback. And so many of these entertainers trying to write their own books. But they don't want to really give you too much information. I can understand that. But the problem is, like, I, they don't realize, I think, that not many of them have enough of a story in and of themselves, you know, that to write. I don't think, you know. So I thought, you know, th th this book that kind of combines everything is, a, is an idea. So I just kind of threw that in there. But I also decided, let me, start, you know, let me investigate some of the things more up my wheelhouse, you know, with the John Lennon assassination, Bellucci's death, Elvis Presley, Natalie Wood. Yes. Rose. So, so I throw all that in there as well. And just kind of the other really weird stuff that happened in uh, Hollywood where, you know, and again, I, I know way too much about this stuff, but, you know, I'm I love a huge it. Fan. I love it. <laughs> well, yeah, how weird does of, it get? Well, you know, you have huge, you know, I'm a huge fan of pre-code talkies. I, that was my favorite before they had the Hayes code came in and put kind of censorship on it. You watch those talkies that they, that they still show from like 1929 to 1934. And it's just, you know, just so cool. I mean, it's a depression era. So it's kind of it's depressing with their snappy pattern dialogue, rat-a-tat-tat dialogue that some of the actors specialized in. And uh, only were good for that era. Like Lee Tracy was an early leading man I loved a lot, but he kind of went out of fashion once the code came in. And, and you know, the 
the the women you know were so sexy you know and the outfits the clingy dresses and stuff and you know stuff that you didn't see later and uh very provocative stuff so i, I loved that era very much and i thought the uh, you know the the scripts weren't rifled as a writer seeing but uh you know i i and i don't have i'm sorry I, so many the, the index to this book was almost 100 pages long when i was gonna I was say you must have so much circulating in your head at any moment oh it, it, and i can't so i can't remember some of these names but this guy he was a leading man in a number of early talkies because what, what i usually do greg is when uh and i've done this for all, ever since the internet became because i'm interested in this kind of minutia so when i watch a movie well, almost any movie really but especially when I watch a, an old movie. And I watch an old movie pretty much every night. I DVR them and I turn classic movies or whatever. Yes. And uh, so I, I, lo I love, and I love pre-code talkies. I love the sci-fi films of the 50s with the giant bugs and the dinosaurs being unearthed by nuclear. You know, I, I never get tired of that stuff. Uh, and just, you know, basically anything but war movies, you know, really, and most Westerns. I, I love all the other stuff. So I, uh, you know, I watch it all the time. But when... Uh, next day or whatever, even during the film, I'll go to IMDb and I just look the movie up and just see what happened to the actors. And I, I was doing that while I was writing this book because I was looking for stories. I was looking for weird things. I was looking for suicides and, you know, things like that because they're very prevalent there. Yeah. And one of the guys, and I can't remember his name, but he literally pulled, uh, you talk about a disappearing act. This guy, you know, and a lot of times you don't know why their careers end. They just, they look like they're, you know, doing well. And then suddenly they just stop. And uh, you know, and this guy, nobody knew what happened to him. They in IMDb just says uh, it is assumed that he must have died sometime in the 1980s, but there's no record of his death. So you know, how do you possibly go from being a leading man in Hollywood to <laughs> so obscure? There's no record. So that's the kind of stuff that intrigues me. And uh, you know, I, again, I have a lot of that in the book. Where uh, did you find the answer? So, is that in the book? No, no, there is because I you can't. I mean, I did find something. A reference to a daughter he had a, a story quoted where he's kind of acting like she knew what happened to him at one point but then why didn't she clarify the mystery of you know when he died where he's married and all that but she didn't die but that's that's what makes the the movie industry you asked about it being uh if it was ever golden or whatever i think it was golden but it was they put out a product that it, ironically it, it put out the studio system did a great job of churning out really excellent material. Oh yeah. And, and, and so, but it was a system that wasn't good for the, well, for the most part, wasn't good for a lot of the actors, but uh, it, it gave them steady work, but uh, they, and, and all the studios were run by, almost none were run by creative people. They were run by tyrants, Louis T. Mayer, Jack Warner, gee, it's like, I mean, yes. these, these guys were just, you know, Daryl Zanuck, uh, Adolf Zukor, the, these people were not, uh, they ran, they were, and they had, you had mobsters like there. You would, you know, one of the things I go into the book is the death of George Superman Reeves, and uh, who I think, I, I think, was murdered beyond question. But he, and I think he was murdered because he was having an affair, was well known, the wife of Eddie Mannix. Eddie Mannix was number two at MGM under Louis G. Mayer, and he was notorious right. for, you know, Clark Gable gets in a hit and run accident, rumored, and somebody dies, supposedly. Uh, he cleans it up and blames somebody else and gets him off the hook. Stars get women pregnant, that kind of stuff. And that was his job, but he was, he had a mobster image to him. He was a very tough guy. 
and he was like Luigi Mayer's uh, muscle. So when Carol, uh, I mean, when Jean Harlow, a lot of people, you know, think she probably killed her husband, Paul Byrne. Right. Playing with suicide, you know, Maddox and the rest of the studio, there was a guy, I think it was uh, Samuel Mark. He lived to be very old. And he was, a, uh, you know, kind of high up at MGM as well. And he later wrote a book and kind of talked about all that, about, you know, Irving Zalberg and all these people were out there cleaning up the scene. And that kind of stuff happened then. So you had these really kind of bad botched abortions, a lot of the women and uh, all the stuff was happening. Judy Garland, poor Judy Garland was abused by Luigi Mayer and everything. I mean, he's put on these diet pills and uh, they watched everything she ate and no wonder she became so, you know. Yeah, her story uh, yeah. is such a tragedy. I mean, did you find out anything about, in your research, anything about Judy Garland that the public doesn't already know was despicable? Did you dig up any more dirt on this? No, I, 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 I think most of it's well known, but I think maybe the public doesn't know that what triggered it. And I think what triggered it was the treatment you received, pretty much starting with The Wizard of Oz by Louis G. Mayer. And the other rumors, I mean, one of the guys who I used to like as an actor who I, I just kept running into evidence that he was really, you know, a pretty bad human being. That's Spencer Tracy. And one of the rumors, I think Spencer Tracy was one of those accused of, you know, raping her when she was underage. The rumors Louis G. Mayer might have himself. Um, right. Rooney. <clears throat> uh, so all these things. So she was pretty much drugged and, 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 and you know, uh, put on this absurd diet and speed. And that just hooked her for the rest of her life. And it was so bad that there, a lot of the studio mothers uh, and there are so many of these actors, you know, they had the classic, you know, stage mothers. That was no Hollywood touched on that so many times in the early years. In fact, they actually made a movie about that because it was so prevalent. People like Ginger Rogers I and mean, her mother was notorious. Leela, I mean, she was yeah. just, you know, unbelievable. And, and uh, Judy Garland's mom was was the same way. And uh, Luigi Mayer saw the way to control Judy was through her. So he even put her on the payroll. He paid her basically, I think, the same amount he was paying Judy Garland to keep her in line and make sure she was taking uh, the speed and everything to keep her weight down. So, yeah, it's 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 a shame. And, and some of them are fragile. I mean, Judy Garland shared a lot of time with Marilyn Monroe and, and some of them were just, you know, very sensitive souls. They, they're, they're, they're doing drugs and they come, most of the time they come from, you know, kind of uh, some kind of dysfunctional background. Yeah. And then suddenly they're thrust in the limelight. They had this fame. So it it, it seems to react in, in that kind of negative way a, a lot more often than the positive way with it. With... Yeah. I, well, well, I also wonder in terms of uh, the, the, the when did when did that stop? Did they look at Garland and Mickey Rooney as people that they said, OK, well, we're going to try this out. And then at a certain point, they realize, oh, wait, that's uh, we shouldn't do that. Because then when she gets to Natalie Wood, um, obviously her death is the tragedy there. But in terms of being a young girl growing up in Hollywood, um, she was the next generation after Garland and all that stuff is like, a, you know, going through the system. Um, she didn't really seem to be deal with those drug issues unless there's something I, I don't know about her. No, Natalie was uh, she and I. Um... I've actually communicated I've, uh, with Lana Wood, her sister, who right now has a new book out herself, Little Sister, that's selling really well, her investigation into Natalie's death. She was on one of my radio shows a couple of years ago <clears throat> talking about it. I'm real happy for her. She got a big book contract, so she needed a break. Lana deserved a break. Yeah. She was an actress herself, and she's going to be on my other, my uh, Donald Jeffrey show, she's going to be on next week. 
So, uh, you know, we'll be talking a lot about that. But she alluded to, I told her, you know, when I was on the show last time, I said, one of the urban myths are so, so many delicious urban myths, in, you know, in Hollywood. Yes. One of the urban, ugly urban myths is that uh, Kirk Douglas raped Natalie Wood when she was underage. Right. And uh, I had heard that and I, I mentioned that and she, the way she answered it pretty much told me it was, you know, she said, you know, no comment or something like that. So, and I think maybe she's publicly saying it now. I don't know, but that's what the, I'm not making any representations, but uh, that's, that's what the, the, the uh, rumor is out there. And uh, Natalie also was, you know, she, I don't think she had the drug issues, but she also had an affair when she was very young with uh, Nicholas Ray. Hmm. He's a director of uh, uh, Rebel Without a Cause. Right. And uh, I don't know that – I think she might have been underage then, but, you know, that was more common then. People didn't really look at it the same way. So you know, it was clearly, you know, she was a hot young thing. And, of course, you know, she's just lovely. Every All anecdotes say she was really a nice person. So I, I, I'm sure she was taken advantage of that one. Certainly her death, I think, is that she didn't, as Lana said, you know, she, wouldn't, she wouldn't go out to get the mail. Without being fully made up, she would not have gone out on a boat, water that she was terrified of, in a nightgown like that without her makeup. She would have never done that. So, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm curious about this. I mean, I've definitely, uh, there are definitely some people that say, oh, well, Wagner definitely did it. Um, but, but what, what are you, based on your research, what are you insinuating? Well, yeah, I think that would be that's I think that's what Lana believes. And she has uh you know, unfortunately she's become ostracized from the rest of her family. You know, Natalie's children haven't talked to her for a long time. Uh, her own mother was mad at her for a while right. for doing it. So she's 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 the only one, you know, that's questioning it. And until now, when she finally has a book, she was certainly wasn't getting anything uh, good out of it, but I, you know, I, I don't know, you know, Robert Wagner, I was a fan of his, you know, I, I, when, when I was young, uh, I used to like the show, it takes a thief. So, uh, and I admired him cause you know, he said, man, this guy has all the chicks that I would want. You'll say John, right. Natalie Wood, <laughs> Stephanie Powers. I said, Adam, he's got the same taste I would have, you know, so is it, you know, like a really young guy, you kind of admire that, but, uh, <clears throat> so it's hard, but you know, you don't know who, who's capable of doing what. And certainly there were three people, but I, I, and for some reason, even Lana was reluctant to point the finger because I'm looking at Christopher Walken, who was the third person on that boat. And mm. uh, for some reason, nobody questions him. And she just kind of told me, well, he gave a statement, but it's been sealed. Why would that be seen? You know, nobody's seen it. And uh, nobody, including her, don't see, don't seem to change. So I would wonder what his involvement might have been. But I, you know, it's like it's like the JFK assassination or anything, you know, Greg, that people ask me that all the time. I said, I, I don't know who killed him, but it wasn't Oswald. It proved that without meaning yes. to <laughs> let's let's start from there. But uh it's the same way here. I don't know what happened to her, but I don't believe somebody who was deathly afraid of the water and was very typically vain about her appearance actress would go out on the uh because you know they would be you know they that's the way they think. They would think, oh my God, somehow if if I get, you know, drowned or something, I don't want my corpse to look bad. I mean, that, that's, you know, that's the kind of mentality they have because they're, they're, you know, so concerned about their looks. So she would not, have, as Lana said, she wouldn't have gone out to get the mail without being fully made up. And, uh, you know, there are other movie stars that were like that as well. Loretta Young, there are lots of people that, that they just, they would, didn't leave the house for anything without yeah. getting all primped up. 
Wow, wow, wow. Yes, so uh, very interesting. Uh, I'm curious in terms of uh, the way you discuss money in Hollywood. Um, what do you, because I, I've definitely heard, in, and certainly from people in the uh, conspiracy scene, there's always talk about the CIA's influence, especially uh, James Bond is talked about all the time with Ian Fleming. There's a connection there. Um, where do you see... Where is perhaps the strangest place money is coming in to make Hollywood uh, that you've discovered? Well, as far as where it's coming in from, I think that uh, we do see even now we see the CIA has uh, is basically uh, has advisory status over any film that talks about the agency. The CIA gets involved. The agency gets involved. The studios left. The same thing with the military. Uh, any, you know, basically any war movie now. That's why you see so few real anti-war movies, because the military is involved, and uh, you can. It's kind of understandable because if they want to use the cool equipment and they want to use the sets and the scenes, they have to get the permission, and uh, they're not going to give them permission if they're going to say something that they don't like. So, as far as money, I'm not sure. But I thought you were going to talk about, you know, because the, the money. Mostly, what I talk about as far as money is why, you know, it's kind of a tip of the hat to my book survival of the richest which you know examines the disparity of wealth right in america right. but in this there, there's a disparity in hollywood and it's very similar where you and it doesn't make any sense too it breaks along lines like i'll give you a perfect example and i think i think readers will be fascinated by this kind of stuff but just to give you the, the best example i can think of out of the book i mean i, I looked up net worths of people and the celebrity net worths out there from talking to a couple of celebrities, I've, I've I've come to realize that apparently they do exaggerate the net worth of everybody, but right. I think they, I think they do it across the board. So it's it should be kind of consistent. So it, if whoever has a lot more, still the person that doesn't have that much still has more than they have, right? So it should I would think it'd be kind of you know, uniform. But uh, to give you an example of it, and I, I look at like what some people die with i try to look up the estates of these people and so many of them don't leave much mickey rooney for instance you mentioned him was a, a movie star for uh, probably 80 years because he lived to be 90 he was a, he was a kid actor and uh he died with an estate of eighteen thousand dollars wow. now even even gordon yeah even you know factoring in his eight marriages that's still pretty pathetic and uh, you wonder and then you know, a better example would be eddie davis again a lot of people consider her you know the the greatest actress of all time. He's very well known, obviously. He uh, died with an estate of less than $1 million, which is very mod you know, very modest considering her achievements. And then juxtapose that against my favorite. I, I, I juxtapose that against Stepan Petchett. Stepan Petchett, uh, those people who don't know, was a kind of a, uh, he was a dancer and a black actor who was a, you mentioned his name and automatically people conjure up images of the way Hollywood depicted blacks very crudely, stereotypically. So you would say, oh, he's right. a step and fetch it. You're making fun of like worse than an Uncle Tom. Step and fetch it died with an estate of $10 million. Now, I, I'd like anybody to explain to me how step and fetch had 10 times the net worth that Betty Davis did. And there's lots more examples like that. That's just the most extreme I can think of. And uh, that's what intrigues me, you know, is why. And I go through, like, uh, what the stars are. I, and again, this is, you could look this up. Uh, you know, it's readily available online. I think they were from maybe the years 1936, 37, 38, something like that. I think those are the years that were available. But I looked up the salaries for uh, all the actors. 
directors, studio heads and everything. And I have lots of examples in the book, but uh, they don't make any sense. You know, like, like the biggest stars sometimes will, you know, make less than a hundred thousand and somebody like, you know, I think uh, May West, one of the years where she made one film that year, I think her last, she made 300 and some thousand. So I, I just look at it like, does this make any sense? Walt Disney's salary was really low as a studio head. Uh, it, you know, and forgotten directors made it. So, you know, again, people can look at it uh, and, uh, and judge from the top, but it, it certainly interests me because the disparity is all over the place. And it's not like the disparity I described in Survival of the Richest, where it's how much money you make and most people aren't paid enough. This is, you know, presumably Betty Davis must have made more money in her career than Step and Fetch it did. I don't think there's any question about that, but. So, so then what is, I yeah, I mean, I, there must be some sort of, because obviously, yeah, your other book, I mean, we're looking at the way the structure of the system favors the people in power. We're looking at patterns. We're looking at who are the people calling the shots, who are the people in the room where it happens, that mysterious place uh, where they decide everything. But in this case, it seems a little sporadic. It seems a little over the place. I mean, do you have any? Do you have any theories about it? Do you have any uh, sense of is there some agenda going on behind the scenes of who gives this amount of money to which star? Well, you know, I don't. I don't know. I because I, in the case of like somebody like Betty Davis, uh, I, I don't understand. There, she's a lot of you know. If you look at some of the certainly in the rock in the rock and roll world. A lot of them you can attribute, okay, well, they did too many drugs. They frittered the money away. A lot of them have bad managers. Betty Davis didn't appear to have all, any of that. So uh, she didn't appear to have any kind of abuse problems or anything. So I, I'm not sure what would be the reason or, or how Stephen Betchett could succeed to such an extent in that era. But uh, that's just one example. Mickey Rooney, okay, maybe had eight wives. But no, you think we'd have left one. Hedy Lamar. Hedy Lamar is a perfect example, too. She died and it was very well publicized. She died broke. Again, she made millions during her lifetime, and she was a, a brilliant woman. I think she had a genius IQ, had invented a lot of things, had a lot of patents. She wasn't just, uh, you know, a, a beautiful face. She, uh, but for some reason, she died. And there's, you know, it's certainly people. Some people handle money better than others. I mean, we've all known people that are, you know, just can't handle money. But so there's some of that, I'm sure. I mean, some of it, yeah. is, but but it still intrigues me, and uh, I think that. I look at how Bela Lugosi, I mentioned him, how somebody like him, he was, I think that just like in any courts, if you've ever, you know, there's, there's good reason why most workplaces, they, they don't like uh, the employees sometimes to know what the others are making. And I think there's a reason for that is because a lot of times they do, you know, they pay more to somebody and it's for whatever reason, they like them better, or maybe they think they can pay somebody else less because he'll take it and they can take advantage of them. And so somebody like Bela Lugosi, comes into Hollywood. Uh, English is basically a second language. He's learning the language. And uh, he was easy, very naive. And they they paid him $3,500. That's the total amount he made to pay, play Jack Dracula, one of the iconic film roles in history in 1931. Yeah. Same movie. Same movie, David Manners, who was fourth or fifth down the credits, totally forgotten. Actor who you know has had a brief run in the early 1930s and became a writer. Uh, he made 14000 So that clearly was because they knew Bela Lugosi would work for less, and they continued to take advantage of him. That's why he ended up you know, working for Ed Wood and all those great movies that we love because they were so bad. You know, the Plan 9 from Outer Space stuff uh, was because he had, uh, they saw him coming, they knew they could play, and Bela would basically take whatever they offered. And, Interesting. Uh, 
Yeah, and so it's, it's very sad. And you, you would ha- and you had another example in early days. I'd find out that much about it, but apparently Robert Taylor, who was a uh, married to Barbara Stanwyck at one time, uh, you know, big star. Yeah, you know, very handsome guy, and he played a lot of roles like that. And underrated actor, I think. But he, it was well known that Louis G. Mayer just paid him, you know, just an incredibly small amount, way less than all the other big contract players. And I, you know, did Robert Taylor not know? Did he just sense that he could do it? I, I think so. I think you know, people, especially powerful figures like that, they get a sense for, hey, this is a guy. You know, this guy's gullible. This guy. So I think a lot of it's that, but um, that still doesn't explain somebody like Betty Davis, who you know, Fox Studios. She was very aware of money. So uh, yes. I, I really don't. That, and I think that's what makes it delicious is that it is a mystery. And I don't yeah. think anybody else before me is talking. I, I don't think anybody else talked about this to, until I did. That is very mysterious. Yeah. It's interesting that, uh, well, it seems that Natalie Wood knew about that, right? Because wasn't she credited? I mean, I, I watched a documentary that her daughters did for HBO. Um, and again, I don't know how much agenda that has. Obviously, they're going to make their mother look great. But um, she's credited with being one of the first women to really step up and say, hey, uh, I deserve to get paid as much as these other actors, these male actors. Yeah, I don't. Well, yeah, I, I saw that too, and I know uh, that was the one. I think that you know they basically kept Lana off of. Like, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't remember her perspective on <laughs> oh, that. No, 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 no. She, they didn't let her join it. But um, yeah, I, I heard that. I, I don't know how well she. I mean, you had you had you know, various uh, a lot of actresses, especially more than actors, but uh, one of my favorite actors actresses of the pre-code talkies was Anne Dvorak. Dvorak who uh, I, I, she doesn't get credit because even before Betty Davis and some of the other actresses, he challenged the studio system and they blacklisted her. That's why her career was not, you know, she didn't last as a leading lady very long. But, or, you know, that's, I like, you know, I try to credit people. So I think, you know, that was way before Natalie Wood and it was before yeah. Betty Davis. So I, I would credit Ann Dvorak being the, the first. Well, Mary Pickford, you can go back to that. I mean, you know, but in the silence, you had Mary Pickford and Charlie Chaplin uh, and uh, Cecil B. DeMille that started United Artists because uh, they didn't want, so they were, I guess they were really the pathfinders, but Ed Borek was the first one to fight the studio. She never got credit for it and, uh, you know, died so forgotten that uh, when they were writing a biography, and I have this in the book, uh, the guy was trying to, uh, uh, the woman was writing a biography about her and I was trying to come up with anecdotes and stuff and she couldn't, I mean, she had just been, she had moved to, I think, Hawaii and had lived there for a long time. And her mother was still alive, I think. And so she just basically hung out with her mother and she was relegated to like finding some guy that had taken the mother and, and Anne out to lunch one time. I mean, so it's like, you know, some of them become, you know, really obscure and they lead yeah. lives. And that's why you have people like, um, oh God, what was her name? I think her name was Sus- Suzette Vickers. It's in the book, but uh, she was in uh, she was in Playboy back then. And she, if you remember that great movie, uh, Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman, the original one. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, uh, she was the one, the hot blonde that was cheating uh, with the husband of the Fifty Foot Woman, and you know she goes after her. So she had roles like that, but she had become so obscure when she died that her she died in you know a cheap apartment in Hollywood, and her body lay in, in the apartment for a year being discovered oh my gosh what just so that's yeah, crazy and, it is and there's uh one of, one of the actresses from uh what's happening 
yeah. it wasn't that long but she died and she was there uh at, i think she was there for a week or two the guy that played zaro guy williams yeah was in a uh, bungalow in another country again his body laid there for a while too benny hill my favorite one benny oh. hill's body laid in front of him because he basically just sat and watched tv all the time after he retired and uh he uh his body had laid there for quite a while very sad benny hill's another one who i speculate in the book that uh, a lot of people think benny hill died of urgent so mm-hmm. if you, uh, how you can do that in hollywood i don't know but especially when your entire career was based on you know <laughs> scantily clad women running around but he he was one of the most unique characters in hollywood there's a lot of characters out there but he he was he had lots of stuff going on a mother complex apparently a fear of every i i, I don't know it's uh i, I go oh into gosh. a little bit in the book but uh so the book has all that kind of stuff what causes a rumor to go around hollywood that somebody died a virgin i mean what kind <laughs> of what is the mindset behind people well like it's when... it's it's got to be so rare i mean i don't i i don't i really don't know i mean i think that uh it's i mean there and i have other examples listed in there you know of, of figures that that but not, not that many but especially when you think of a place like hollywood where um, Lyle Talbot, you know, one of the, the early uh, uh, contract players who was a leading man in the early days of Hollywood. You know, he, he famously said, you know, back in those early days of Hollywood, we had way more sex than you than the kids were doing in the 60s. Oh, but, my gosh. Yeah, so, so, you know, it was it was everywhere. And of course, it was all over the place. You have you know, if you believe uh, I, I went to Scotty Bowers book. I don't know if you read that. It came out a couple of years ago that where he claimed, you know, I don't know, Gore Vidal wrote a blurb for it and i love gorvidal but um you know scotty bowers basically claimed to be uh i, I don't know what he was but he was he, he apparently had sex with all the stars men and women uh, out there and uh you know he just his it's a fascinating book but if you believe him and you believe a lot of other stuff all the stars were having sex and almost all of them were bisexual apparently according to right so right so so, so I, I i don't know is it, is it true i i don't know was there really a sewing club they used to call with all the lesbians out there i, I don't know but it's, fasc- it's fascinating to consider but uh especially because it you know later kind of became a lot of those old stars you know <clears throat> in their later years they supported ronald reagan and they became very conservative and then you look back yeah. at what they were rumored, rumored to have done in their, <laughs> in their early years it's like okay but uh but yeah it, it, fa- it fascinates me the history of hollywood fascinates me even though there's a lot of a lot of bad guys, you know, the studio system put out a lot of great work, a lot of memorable work, but uh, it was run by tyrants, you know, wasn't good people, but um, well, they managed to, you know, there was the competency level. I think we can look at now when America's just kind of falling apart. There's no competence anywhere and nothing can be done right. And you look back at something like that in that era and man, they could, uh, they could crank out something that still holds up, you know, better than most of the, you know, multi-million dollar budget films we see today i mean mo- most of those films from you know 80 years ago uh hold up uh, or you know or 90 years ago even hold up better than the product we have today so i think there that says something for the people that are making yeah yeah you know i i, I think you're absolutely right on uh i live for watching those turner classic films i'm amazed that the storytelling is there there is a uh well, in a way, it's nicer. I mean, I, 
to to be taken away to a to a fantasy in some aspects of life um is a nice journey you know these days it's all about realism and it's let's capture the real on the screen i'm going yeah but but the, the point is to get away from it all the escape that's why hollywood is the place of dreams of, of fantasy and fascination um and you get some directors these days that still do a great job of that but uh the the way even i'm just thinking of the way they used to and again these days, of course, they would call this the the Hollywood male gaze. Um, but there was still just the way they, they did it with men too. The way they would depict the woman with the with the glimmer around her and that kind of uh, that soft vert. The way they'd frame it in black and white. It was just it was such a um, it was very interesting. It, it, it was almost mystical in some ways. They, they, and I talk a little bit about that, the image and the facade. I mean, I added some of that stuff out. I, I don't know how much I left in there because this is working so yeah, This long is a big anyhow. book. It's almost 600 yeah. pages. My yeah, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. But, um, so I, but I edited, I self edited a lot of stuff because I'd gotten into a lot of uh, really minutiae in Hollywood and stuff. But uh, it, they were well known to being able to off lighting. And you had people like uh, one of my favorite actresses, Jean Arthur. Who was just talking about a character? I mean, just you know, pretty a lot. Some of these people were really kind of certifiable in real life. Really? She, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. What was up was, with her? What's weird about her? Well, she was. You know, my four favorite movies of all time, being the populist I am, uh, are Frank Capper's what I call his populist quartet. Wonderful Life, Meet John Doe, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. <laughs> those, those are my four favorites. Okay, so Gene Arthur was in two of them, but uh, he's the only person apparently in the history of Hollywood who didn't want to work with Jimmy Stewart anymore. I mean, everybody else loved Jimmy Stewart, had a great rant. He's one of the only people in Hollywood who there's absolutely no rumors about him being anything but heterosexual and really not a real active heterosexual. But I mean, so there's, there's nothing, there's nothing, there are no rumors about his morality or anything. He really was what you saw. He, when he came to Hollywood, he read Flash Gordon comics. He was really this jaw shucks, you know, guy when right. he played on screen. And I talked to uh, one of the most... Uh, most excited almost of I mean, all the people I talked to, you talked to Carolyn Grimes, who played Zuzu in It's a Wonderful Life, Little wow. Zuzu. That's yeah, so she, cool. Oh, I was, I was, she's such a sweet lady. Still really pretty and cute at like 80 years old, just a great young voice and everything. But she told me, you know, her career ended up really, you know, like a lot of people there, she's, that's what she's remember, remembered for. She didn't do much else there. Had kind of a, a not, not very good personal life. So she ended up in foster care and she got at it, you know, and they took her out of acting. So she just pursued work, regular jobs. But later in life, when she was an adult, James Stewart looked her up, wondered what happened to her, called her up, wanted to know what happened to her and became friends with. Her. And she said, you know, he he thought to look me up. And he is. He said he was just what he was on the screen. Just a really nice guy. So it's rewarding to. Uh, <clears throat> To hear that, because so many of the like Spencer Tracy, you know, who just, uh, you know, I know I was going to ask for Jimmy Stewart dirt too, but I, I'm, uh, oh, there's <laughs> no dirt there. I mean, he's just, he's, well, he's one of the few. I mean, you know, he's, it, cause he doesn't even have a, somebody like Cary Grant, another actor I love, uh, but Cary Grant was troubled. You know, his mother, a lot of these had really weird stories. His mother was, uh, in, you know, pretty much mad and was committed to an institution when he was a little boy. And uh, he just came home from school one day. She wasn't there. And they, they kept telling him oh, she went away on vacation. She never came back. And he never got over it. And uh, his life was, uh, this was the most, I, I think, you know, to 
to me, uh, you know, he might have turned me gay out there. I mean, he was the best looking man I can uh, in Hollywood. Right, I mean, right. He's a really good looking guy. And just magnetic, lovely to watch. And just, you know, perfect actor. This Cockney accent. He can, I would love to write a script for him. Because, I mean, any line you say, he's going to make sound great. Yes. He just does. You know, he's just a perfect actor. But um, he he struggled in his personal lives. You know, you, you look at some of these people that were, uh, they're cutting a swath through all the leading ladies of Hollywood, you know, because there was so much sex going on. there. I don't know what Cary Grant was doing. Apparently, he was mostly gay. He, you know, he loved, uh, what was the guy's name? Oh, actor he lived with, I've forgotten his name. He wasn't that well known, but uh, he had a, a, they had a house together. And that was a rumor is that that was the love of his life. He married like three times, but uh, he never, you know, he, he, he kept a diary, a very sad diary. And uh, they kind of came out in later years. I think HBR, one of the channels, had a, a you know a, a documentary about him. But did he uh, talk he about any of those uh, gay encounters in his diary at all? No, no. I, th I think he, I think I think he. I don't think he ever alluded to it. But it was uh, Randolph Scott. I think it was Randolph Scott that was the uh, the guy that was uh, rumored to be. Is you know there, there's a couple of provocative pictures of them like together on the diving board, you know, sitting very close. Right, like, right. At, at, at the audience, you've probably seen that. But so, uh, but you know, so he had that. You had to, but. Uh, but nothing nasty about him, really. But and then Spencer Tracy, I said, just finding out that this guy was, you know, really horrible and really big drunk and apparently gay too, according to Scotty Bowers, you know, in real life. But uh, right. he, he, yeah, but he uh, just a nasty human being. I mean, the, the, the one writer I found, he claims he said, you know, he was known if if somebody came up and asked for his autograph, he'd punch him in the face. Oh my gosh! I mean, wow. I mean that's you know. Even the bad boys in Hollywood now don't do that. So uh, just so you, you, I can't really watch movies with him anymore because yeah. just knowing that he might have been that way, I, I don't, you know, I don't have an interest in it. But uh, but Jean Arthur was because she was in two of those of my favorite movies. Uh, she was such a weird, just an odd person. She did for some reason she didn't want to work with James Stewart anymore after Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I don't know why she didn't. And uh, like I said the only person I've ever heard of because Capra wanted her to play the Donna Reed role in It's a Wonderful mm. Life. And uh, she turned him down. No, I won't work with him anymore. So I, who knows why? She didn't do a whole lot in her later years. And I read a biography of her. Uh, I think there's the actress, the star nobody knew or something like that, the name it was. But she was uh, strange enough to where she had actually plotted Ronnie McDowell was one of her good friends in real life. And he, she had a plan. I think it was, I think it was uh, Harry Cohn. Yeah, Columbia, I think it was. Another one of these horrible, you know, pirate studio heads. He was another guy that was bad. But uh, she hated him so much because she was always rebelling against the studio. She had actually planned out to go in his office and kill him. Why? And, and, and Rodney, Rodney McDowell, it was all in her, in, her, in her biography. Rodney McDowell said in the way she told it, you knew she was really seriously considering doing it. And so I, what did it happen? I don't know. She For whatever reason, she decided not to do it. But she uh, and Frank Capra in later years, she would not. She wouldn't. She she famously said, "I'd rather slit my throat than give an interview." She wouldn't oh. give interviews, and, and she was a recluse, except for people like writing down some people she knew. But uh, she wouldn't. Uh, Capra, they, they had a screening of Capra movies at a film festival. She wouldn't come. She made a ridiculous excuse and wouldn't come. And uh, so very, so very odd lady. It doesn't quite detract from her movies, but uh, I, that's, you know, she fascinates me. Barbara Stanwyck, my favorite actress of all time, really fascinates me too. But again, very complex person in real life. 
I, I get pro- both Jean Arthur and Barbara Stanwyck alleged to be lesbians. I, who knows? I don't. Is it true? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah, but they're my favorite actresses, and probably because they were in Capra films. But uh, Barbara Stanwyck again, you know, her, her mother notably uh, uh, fell off a trolley car and died when she was like three. The father left them, raised in you know just terrible circumstances, and uh, it, it probably was an early you know person on the casting couch i'm guessing because she was a really gorgeous young woman if you've seen pictures of her when she first came to hollywood and uh, right. a lot of them joan crawford's another one who didn't didn't have a great upbringing lucille lasur was her real name and i i find it saying you know that we talk about the image of hollywood is that it's it's almost like lucille lasur joan crawford's real person she didn't exist only the image exists. The Pennsylvania yeah. creation, Joan Crawford is real, baby. You know, she's, you know, she's right. uh, the ultimate movie star. I mean, you know, just, uh, uh, and another, another noted bisexual, I might add. This is interesting. <laughs> I love that these, I mean, now this is the interesting thing, you know, the idea that you coming on this show and saying, uh, or even writing in your book, hey, uh, you know, these people were bisexual, they were gay. Um, these days, I mean, still kind of controversial, strangely still controversial in this world for, for a well, young actress there's... to come out. Um, well, the... it is, but well, and I don't think any of them did, but, I, but, I, but I'm saying I've read, you know, tons, tons and tons of places that, so it's not me saying it, I would have no way of knowing, but that's Oh, no, that's of course. Commonly, no, yeah. Yeah. Or I, I just, I think it's interesting that I think that people hearing this or at least me going like oh Cary grant huh um it definitely is i mean it, it, hollywood i guess the the summary of the statement was for a long long time hollywood was heteronormative those were the films you saw man women fall in love that's it right right right, right. absolutely yeah yep There's yeah no question about that and and, that, and it certainly was never still alluded to on screen but uh but again i think that's you know Hollywood behind obviously the, uh, the the facade they created was really powerful. So you had people like William Haynes is another one who was a, an early leading man. Who yeah. if you look at some of the early talkies and he was he wasn't bisexual. He was totally gay, and uh, he was he was I don't know if, I guess they couldn't have had a marriage in those days, but it, it was basically a marriage. With in fact, John Crawford said that he and his his partner had the happiest marriage in Hollywood. And he right. notably he, he notably was principled enough when Louis G. Mayer basically said, "Look, you got to you got to get married." He refused to, and uh, he tore up his contract. So, and he was one of their top stars. But if you you know if you look at all those films early on, he he was convincing with women and all these guys where they 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 put up the facade and and they did it with um, as far as well, so many men were balding and they had the you know, they had toupees that looked realistic. Right. Um, so many, so many short men. I, who's the guy? Uh, Brian. Din- I think it was Brian Don Don Levy, who was a star like in the fifties, forties, and fifties. Who uh, was, you know, not a nice guy either, from what I heard. But he was short. He had no hair. I mean, I have going there with like how much preparation they used to have to do to make him look what he, like he did on screen. I mean, oh, it was man. a lot of work. They needed big elevator shoes, uh, big toupee, and everything. So it's, uh, it was always image, but uh, it. The image looks really good. I mean, if you look at it now, if you look yeah. at it, because you don't see any of this. When you see Wizard of Oz, you see Judy Garland, you don't see such a troubled kid that's being really abused, you know, by yeah. the system and everybody else. You just see kind of a, 
an angelic young girl who's innocent and farm girl from in. So that's, I think that's the magic of Hollywood that they can, they can do that. So, you know, Carrie, Carrie Grant looks like the urban, suave, confident playboy. Doesn't have a problem in the world. He's still yeah. dealing with mother issues decades later in real life. And, uh, it's uh that's what fascinates me about it watching because i me too and, me too <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and knowing the backdrop stories that's why i love knowing what happened to these people in real life because uh to me it just makes them more interesting lon cheney you know lon cheney uh, senior i'm one of my grown to really really love him as an actor and uh i i his his films are all the more poignant because he just you know he died right only 40 Three forty-four, whatever it was, of, of lung cancer. You know, and he, he'd watch you smoking incessantly on screen, like some were. But uh, one made one talkie. He and he was set to play Dracula in uh, Todd Browning's nineteen thirty-one film, and that's they got Lugosi because Cheney uh, died. But if you watch him, he's the only leading man in the history of the film. He never gets the girl. Never gets mm. the girl. You watch it, and it's it's always the sad thing where he. And he was so, I think he's the greatest actor that ever lived because, you know, he did it all without talking. His, his face is so expressive and you can see his heart breaking, you know, when Loretta, young Loretta Young, like somebody over camera, somebody else does. And it happened all the time where it looked like he might get the girl at the last minute. And he always kind of acquiesces and is understanding. And, but it's your heart breaks for him. And uh, he, uh, you know, he led, a, he led a tragic life and, but he left some fantastic, you know, you know, film portrayals on the screen. I mean, just that's said. This is even in the silent era. Those those films are magic. You know, when you when you watch uh, with somebody yeah. like him, what he went through, what he put his body through to play the Hunchback of Notre Dame, and just the, the, the makeup and stuff he put on his eyes and everything, just incredible. But that's you know, they would do that in those days for their craft. Yeah. What about uh, the the tap dancers? I'm a fan. I love singing in the rain. Love Gene Kelly. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously Fred Astaire is great too. Though I've, I've always, I well, I think I prefer singing in the rain over any of Fred Astaire's movies. Um, was there, was there anything juicy about any of those movie musicals that MGM was known for? You know, I, I hate to disappoint you, but not not really. Uh, so those are as know, magical. Than, That's good to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Gene Kelly, I uh, never heard much of it. I, uh, I heard he was kind of demanding to work, but I think some of yes. his co-stars didn't like him because he was very uh, demanding. And Fred Astaire was apparently easy to work with, but, uh, you know, he's you know he's very notable. I, I think when his screen test, they said, you know, too skinny, balding, can dance a little. I think that was the assessment of the, of the two <laughs> right. second. But uh, I mean, Ginger Rogers was much more interesting because she had the crazy stage mother. You know, that was that was always a, a, you know an incessant prep. I'm sure Fred Astaire and all of them were just kind of rolled their eyes when when she came on the stage. But uh, no, no. <laughs> No, nothing there. I mean, Surely the Wizard of Oz into... that has the uh, well, it's got the whole you know all that the the Munchkin suicide thing, which is, I mean, it's been cleared up though. I don't know. I mean, is there anything about the Wizard of Oz we don't know? Well, yeah, there there's an urban legend about. Uh, I I don't think that really happened. I I know people still say that, but it certainly you had the uh, uh, the uh, the almost death of Buddy Epson, who was you know later right. sports, obviously Jed Jed Clampett on the Beverly. He was supposed to be the Tin Man, and they. He had some kind of mercury or some kind of thing in the original, you know, uniform the, uh, of the Tin Man and got in his blood and almost killed him. But uh, that's really the only 
that I know of that was anything other than if you look at, uh, you know, the, the cast of The Wizard of Oz, really none of them except Judy Garland uh, did much of anything else. Ray Bolter made some other musicals, but he was never really known for anything. Bill, Bert Lahr was more of a Broadway guy. Yes. Jack Haley later became more of an executive studio guy. Uh, so they really never, you know, never went on. Now you did have Aunt, Auntie M, who uh, God, I'm, I'm owning out on her name right now. So I should know this, but the lady that played Auntie M, the actor, she's in a lot of other films. She notably killed herself on uh, Easter Sunday. Ooh. She was uh, she was she was going blind and left a very poignant note that I can't you know I can't face all this and uh, uh, I think she had all her as some of the stars do it it really is it's not a, in real life a lot of times when they kill themselves they do surround themselves with scrapbooks or photographs of themselves and clearly it's you know it's become that's become their life you know yeah. that, that's you know the image and so I, I can only imagine them all of us have uh, trouble dealing with getting older. And just, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, you know, it's a stressful thing, you know. Well, Robin Williams is the first one that comes to mind about that, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. No, yeah, you talk about it. I didn't really go into him in the book, but I mean, uh, yeah, he, he's one of the guys. Now, I disagree with most people on Robin Williams because I never liked him as a comedian. I thought he was too over the top and right. too much. He, he, but he was like, reminded me of like Jerry Lewis or Jim Carrey. Their stand-up acts is just too excessive, you know, you're just too loud and... You know, stop. Yeah, he, he would be annoying. Him. People were annoyed yes, by him. Exactly yeah. annoyed. But but man, was he an incredible dramatic actor when he when he did drama, just you know, one hour photo and things like that. I mean, just incredible. And then he made that film, which I can't remember what it was, where the son kills himself in the same way that he did. The uh, mm. you know, the, and, and uh, very foretelling. And uh, he he was a tragic figure, nice guy in real life, but clearly, and he's another one. He grew, he came from so many of these people come from wealthy backgrounds. Believe me, I checked, I checked them out. They're, most of them come from wealth. Now that is interesting. I, I went to school for acting. There was always yeah. kind of this, well, you have to be so lucky to make it. And, and only the people that really, you know, uh, go above and beyond it. It's luck. Da, 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 da. But then you'd see some kids that definitely did come from wealth and, uh, they had agents quicker. They were able to break in. They could get commercials. Um, that is an interesting thing to know. Would you say, yeah, I, I, I'm curious about uh, who really breaks through in Hollywood uh, and and how much of a chance do people that go to an acting school that want to become famous, how much of a chance do they really have? I, I think it's kind of like broadcasting in the same way you go to broadcasting school. And a lot of times they just they get a personality or somebody that knows somebody. And it's uh, certainly in in Hollywood. Robert Williams, I think his grandfather was a United States senator. Yeah, he, he had a lot of blue bloods in his background. But that's, you know, it's very common. You know, you know Tallulah Bankhead's uh, father was a speaker of the House of Representatives. I mean, there's so many. Carol Lombard's father was a very powerful judge. Uh, so even a lot of the good-looking, good-looking women who you think that well, they're the studio, the casting couch, but most of them came. Other than Bar I mentioned the outliers, Joan Crawford didn't, Barbara Stanwyck definitely didn't, but most of the others did, and uh, you just almost assume that the ones who didn't probably were. They caught the eye of some studio executive or something, right? And, and I'm guessing, you know, because there's so much competition there, and you know that's why it's just it's. Uh, even in Hollywood today, when you're you're looking at the terrible product that they put out and the awful scripts, and you know so many, you know, servers and restaurants and stuff are trying to peddle a script or and our screenplay, and they've uh, 
singing and dancing almost as they're waiting. You know, they've got a lot of talent and just trying to um, you know, see. I mean, when I, when I was writing songs as a real young guy, I would go to bars and places and, and, and try to, you know, talk to bands and try to peddle my songs and uh, incredible amount of talent out there. The music, it just so, and if you look at, you know, some of these bar bands, I would say, you know, they're, they're at least as good as somebody I saw win a Grammy. You know, it's a lot right. of times, it's a lot of times it's locked in. Uh, it's who you know, you know, and uh, it's um, being in the right place at the right time. So I don't think that can be uh, minimized, but uh, you know, it, it, but the, the golden age of Hollywood is still always, you just, it's, they really, if you look at them, they, they did, you know, it's, it's MGM used to say there are more, we have more stars than are in the heavens. Yeah. And uh, that's, you know, that's really the way to look at it because they, they packaged them really the perfect way. It was lighting and everything. And they, uh, they're bigger than life. You know, there's people, it's hard to to look at people like Joan Crawford and Clark Gable and, uh, and people like that and consider them human beings. They yeah. were, but uh, you know, they're, they're packaged in something else, but, and that's, you know, that's what makes those old films still just enjoyable to watch. Don, you know, I, I want to ask you a few other people. And again, uh, everybody needs to check out this book uh, on borrowed fame Money, Mysteries, and Corruption in the Entertainment World just came out, too, uh, early November. Really, really interesting stuff. Um, I, I, I want to talk about Marilyn Monroe. Um, did she want to be a sex symbol? What was? It, what do you think her relationship to the icon she became ultimately was? Well, you know, Marilyn Monroe's really, uh, you know, I, I go in depth into her uh, her, mur her murder, and it was a murder. I, I don't think for a second she killed herself, but right. uh, she was uh, she was such a tragic figure. You know, she. I have a quote from her in the book that says, you know, that uh, there's there there are millions of people out here dreaming to be exact quote dreaming about being a star, and I I'm dreaming the hardest. You know, and that that was you know that was what uh. you know she was she, she just a great great quote. And she was a lot smarter. Than they yes. gave her credit for and she you know that's why when she married arthur miller i mean he must have seen something in her beyond the sex symbol and she obviously he wasn't a good looking guy so she obviously saw the intellect and she yes. liked that and uh so i think she wanted to be taken seriously as an actress and uh but you know again i don't i don't know what kind of great acting she could i you know to me she's fine i love watching her on screen but she was a presence she was a movie star she was the ultimate movie star. You watch that movie Niagara that still holds up, you know, great. I think it's her best film. But, uh, you know, she just is a presence on the screen. And, uh, right. but, you know, she came from obviously a, a horrible background. And uh, most people don't know, I don't know if it's true, but while I was writing this book, most people don't know Marilyn Monroe's sister is still alive. Oh. And she's, she's like 100 or something. She was her older sister. And uh, so isn't that odd? But you know, you think somebody would have wanted to interview her, but uh, it has been re relatively, you know, in the background. But um, yeah, I, I think that she uh, certainly, and of course, she got involved in to the extent that, however connected she was to the Kennedys, I don't know what was going on there. That probably would led to her murder, although they did it. I think it was as a warning. But uh, just to know that how obvious, how obviously true that was. Uh, Veronica Hamill, who started in Hill Street Blues. Uh, she moved into Marilyn Monroe's house later, and I think during the 1980s, they were doing some uh, uh, work on the house, and they found a bunch of sophisticated government-type recording devices all in the walls and the ceiling of the house. Oh my the gosh! Rumors about the rumors about it being bugged. You know, they were rumors the mafia, the FBI bugged it. 
it was trying to so, say, you know, why why would they be bugged? It's like, you know, years later, why would the FBI still have classified files on John Lennon? Uh, there's there's a reason for this, you know. So some of these, and that's why I also go into, I, I'm fascinated by Randy Quaid. And uh, I'd love to talk to him. What an interesting, because he, he, uh, uh, he, yes. he, he talks about the star whackers theory. And I, just from looking at so many of these deaths, because I don't, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to a lot of them. But uh, there's something to it, I think, because there's you. It's there's. I write a lot about politics and political corruption, and there's a real crossover where the, the, the show business is the only other industry besides politics where you find these slew of unnatural deaths, where you find so many suicides, so many murders, and so many deaths that are never explained adequately. You don't really know why, and so I think there's something there. I'm not sure what's going on, but I I would. Love to talk to Randy Quaid and question him further about his Star Whackers theory, because I think it might have something to it. That is very interesting. You know, I, I was going to ask you about that earlier when it comes to Hollywood suicides. There's certainly been theories about you start talking about certain politi- political figures you disagree with, and then boom, you're done. Um, there, There's a lot of people that think even Kurt Cobain's death, suicide was a murder. Um, you know, Scott uh, Weiland, I believe. You know, musicians, they say there's weird stuff going on. I mean, do you, what, what, what have you found on that? Well, uh, certainly, I, I, I just look at the, somebody like John Lennon. I wrote extensively about that. And Lennon, I know behind the scenes, uh, was interested in obviously in a lot of political things, including the JFK assassination. McCartney was very interested in the JFK assassination as well. But uh, certainly, I think that's what I just All you need to know about that is that uh, the doorman of the Dakota apartment building, yeah, he lived. The doorman was a guy named Jose Perdormo. Now, Jose Perdormo had once been a, a, a big police guy in pre-Castro Cuba. And he was had ties to Frank Sturgis, one of the Watergate burglars, uh, who also, both of them were tied into the anti-Castro Cuban exile community, which kind of swirled around Oswald and Jack Ruby and all the figures of the Kennedy assassination. Pop up everywhere and you're investigating this stuff. So what is this guy doing years later in 1980? What is he doing as the doorman? To the apartment yeah. building where, where the, the, the one entertainer that had more file government files on him than any other in history that I know of. What is he doing there? So I think that's uh, and I think he's still alive. Ninety-seven. I'd be probably be scared to talk to him. He's, he's, I think he's 97 years old. But uh, I find that really fascinating. So I had that. And then you had somebody like Sal Minio, who uh, was uh was publicly on, I think, the Johnny Carson Tonight Show had said something like, oh, the, you know, the uh, the Warren Report's a bunch of BS. And uh, he was known mm-hmm. to be, you know, and he uh, also was, uh, I didn't know about this for a long time, but the Orson Welles behind the scenes was uh, working on a movie uh, about the RFK assassination. And uh, oh. Sal, Sal Minio was going to play Sirhan Sirhan. It would have been perfect, too. He looked all like him. And then, of course, what happens? Sal Minio is stabbed to death. And related murder. So you have that. And then you have uh, Freddie Prince, who uh, I talked about in my book, Hidden History. I, I was at Mark Lane's. I worked for Mark Lane. He was the most notable critic of the Warren Report as a teenager. I was a teenage volunteer. He was my hero, my civil you know, libertarian. I, 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 I idolized the guy. I was just ecstatic. I was able to be involved with the Citizens Committee of the Inquiry. 
while I was there one day, he came and told us he had just talked to Freddie Prince and he, Freddie Prince is obsessed with it. He told us all how Freddie Prince was calling him every day. And at the time, Freddie Prince was starring in Chico and the Man, hottest young comedian in the in the America, 22 years old. And uh, and he said, yeah, he, he wants to do something to help, you know, expose the truth and everything. So that was the end of 1976. January 1977, they claimed Freddie Prince killed himself. They have a, and if I oh had, my gosh. Uh, had not been there that day, I'd have no notion to connect him to the JFK assassination. And when they did a movie of the week about the final days of Freddie Prince, of course, they concentrated on the pain abuse. And he was so drugged out, waving a gun around, you know, and all this lurid stuff, not one word about the JFK assassination. I know for a fact he was obsessed with it. He was sitting there watching the Zapruder film nonstop and yeah. calling Mark Lane every day nothing about it so that's that as a teenager that's what really i said wow it really opened my eyes to how big this is you know it's so, so you have that and then you have john belushi who for years i have suspected i'm on on the verge of pretty much proving it oh my god his, his, his yeah that his death was you know I, I i thought it was murder and i you know back when i was that young i connected everything to the jfk assassination oh they must have knocked him off and i knew belushi was a radical guy but then I read uh, the History of Saturday Night Live book came out I don't know, 10 years ago or so, and his real-life friend was Dan Aykroyd. Uh, they were best friends in real life, and Aykroyd wrote a little tribute to him in there, and he said he counted among his friends, and one of the three he listed was Judge Jim Garrison. Now, he would not have been friends. Jim Garrison was only known for the JFK assassination. There was no reason he would have been friends with him for any – and I said, oh, wow, that, that's a smoking gun, and then I just uh, – I read the other day. I have, I have people that help me. It's, it's great. I, I can't thank them enough. People that help me with research, you know, and send me stuff all the time. It's, oh, yeah. I don't get paid. I don't pay them anything, but they're just wonderful. They just want to help. And I, I credit them and they, they're happy with that and acknowledge them. But um, they sent me this story about uh, this journalist from Dallas who's still alive. She's like 90-some years old. And she just mentioned, you know, she was, when she was, an, she was an entertainment reporter all these years. She says, Every time I used to interview John Bellucci, he would look at me and said, your city, Dallas, killed my president. He would bring it up every time. And I thought, OK, clearly this guy, you know, I, I'm trying to find out more, but I have no doubt that Luigi was another one of those. So you, you, you got Freddie Prince, you got Sal Minio, you got John Belushi. They all die on natural. What about that woman? The the woman that was with him that night, the uh, the night he died, that natural inquirer broke. Is she just yeah, a, yeah. A, a plant, a puppet? Yeah, well, Kathy Evelyn Smith. I don't know, but she really wasn't. She didn't really face uh, that much. I don't think she was uh, prosecuted. Maybe she was convicted of some really minor charge or something. But uh, she, uh, to me. I think she would have been, been, of course, I don't, I don't think she was the impetus for it, but who knows? I mean, she was a kind of a hangers on. She had been a mistress, I think, of Gordon Lightfoot. Uh, I think she supplied drugs to uh, some of the stars. That is so. true. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I remember in uh, the, the, this documentary that CNN did about National Enquirer, uh, they were talking about that they kind of put her in a position where they could get her to say yeah, I was there the night before, there by having the headline, which is, yeah. I did it. Um, so it didn't even fully seem like she was 100% owning up. It was a little bit pushed of a narrative. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was, and it wasn't other than, you know, Bob Woodward, of all people, wrote the book Wired, but uh, where he alluded somewhat to 
some some suspicious stuff going on there. But that the book was the overwhelming thrust of the book was that you know Belushi much like Freddie Prince, he was out of control. He's you know this was bound to happen. He did a San Francisco speedball. You know he's so drugged out. Everybody knew he's going to be self-destructive. You know, I, mean, I would, you know, who knows? I haven't looked into Chris Farley. Maybe he was into it. I don't know. But I mean, uh, I, right. you know, I, you don't know. But I, again, I wouldn't have known Freddie Prince, and uh, I wouldn't have known John Belushi if I hadn't been looking so hard, or maybe not even Salminio. But so, uh, you know, who knows how many of these uh, these people that, uh, and I, you know, even in the course of writing the book, when people like Tom Petty, one of my favorites, died, you know. I loved him so much and I, I still am kind of unsatisfied. I'm not sure what, you know, he, he seemed to have a lot of stuff wrong with him, you know, for, uh, but uh, I don't know. There was, there was a lot of unclear and a lot of times when you get these reports, it'll say, well, authorities are, you know, they're, they're waiting for autopsy results or something. And a lot of times that's it. You never, I mean, there, so I, I don't get that because how many people in real life die and there's never an official cause? I mean, George, George Reeves, Superman Reeves, and it started with iconic TV show. The official cause of his death, I, I don't think, I, I think it's unknown. So, that I mean, is strange. I, I, I don't know how that happens. I mean, to me, if it's my family member, I'm going to, you know, look, let's, let's, you know, let's, let's find out exactly what happened here. But I think it's pretty obvious why in the cases of somebody like him, well, he was murdered. You know, yeah. he, was, he, he was having an affair with the wrong woman or at least whatever. We don't know what else. But uh, so I think there's, you know, Bobby Fuller, the Bobby Fuller Ford. I fought the law and the law won. Well, the law won with him because, uh, you know, 20, 23 years old, uh, the songs in the top 10. And, and uh, you know, he's found, you know, he's found dead and it's uh, burned that car with a, a gasoline poured down his throat. It's like, you know, holy moly. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. And, and I think they originally they called it suicide. It's like what? You know? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. That's what, you know, going back to the early days of Hollywood, Thelma Todd, who you talked about the Mark brothers, she was in some Mark brothers movies right. and a lot. She was in a lot of Laurel and Hardy shorts, ice cream, blonde, gorgeous young woman and, and a good comedian, really talented. She was very funny in, in the shorts, but, um, she had a big career ahead of her, and she's found dead behind the steering wheel of her car, and uh, she's beaten, clearly bruised and beaten. But despite that, they claim she, uh, you know, committed suicide with carbon monoxide poisoning. So just... Okay, that is, yeah. There's some. There has to be an agenda going on there. And she has. She had ties to, unfortunately, you know, leading a long list of women in and out of Hollywood. Become, you know, she was playing around with fire. You know, she consorted with. Uh, I named Pat DeSico, who was a mob-connected uh, agent out in Hollywood. That was one of her boyfriends, who, of course, used to beat her regularly. Uh, and Pat DeSico, uh, along with Wallace Beery, who was one of the nastiest people in Hollywood, really a, worse than Spencer Tracy, uh, and uh, Albert Broccoli, who at the time was kind of just an aspiring mobster, and later became a big-time film producer who produced most of the James Bond films, James Bond films. So uh, these three, the, the urban legend goes that they beat uh, Ted Healy, who was the original uh, head of the Three Stooges. Yeah, yeah, right. Him to death. And the studio covered up for it. They sent Beery on a vacation to Europe. Albert Broccoli went on to become a film producer. And Pat DeSico went on beating up women or whatever and doing what he did. But, uh, you know, so they're all kind of tied in together. DeSico had that connection Thelma Todd, who was playing with fire with mob figures and everything, and then she's so there's again you scratch the surface of these, and uh, you know it's it just it's uh, there very few of them die peacefully, and a lot of them are obviously very young, and they're uh, 
you know, it's, it's, it's never adequately explained. And that's what intrigued me. And I, I find yeah. so many, so many parallels to what you see in the political world. Is there, was there anybody in the book that a, any character in Hollywood that you said, okay, there's a lot here. And I know I could write another 600 pages on this one person. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I've never, I've never really thought about uh, wanting to, I mean, certainly Cary Grant intrigues me, Barbara Stanwyck intrigues me, uh, Jane Arthur. Those are the personalities that intrigue me because they had uh, really interesting backdrop stories. So I, I don't know, I don't know if I'm disciplined enough to write, you know, a biography about one particular person. I kind of, I, I, I kind of like the way I do it, and that's even with, uh, you know, hidden history is, is JFK assassination is my wheelhouse, but I prefer to kind of incorporate it into all the other stuff and, and you know go back and forth. I'm I'm a hidden history three now so those are those are my books that sell the best so uh I I'm keeping that up there but I I, I guess I'm not quite this way I'm a good researcher and I have people helping me they're great researchers right but uh I, I don't know that I think it takes a certain kind of mind to uh to say well I'm just gonna not you know study the letters and of all this one person because I I mean I I you know People like obviously Frank Capra, people like that. I'm very interested in. I don't know if I'm interested in any of them enough to, to write a, a biography just about one particular person. Yeah, yeah, hey, that's fair. That's fair. I, I, hey, I love the scattershot approach too. I mean, um, it, so many, so many interesting personalities. You know, it's interesting. One person you haven't talked about that uh, I am such a fan of, and I know my uncle in particular uh studied him in college he, he he was doing cinema studies way back in the day um and he's still a huge fan of and i am is alfred hitchcock um and alfred hitchcock i know i mean at least the stories were that he was absolutely torturing tippy hedron and the birds oh um, he, yes <laughs> he was doing some psychological games to his performers oh. constantly um yeah what what do, what do you have on him yeah he well certainly again he's one of my favorite direct probably second only to Capra. And just you know just watching just to watch the way the camera moves even i mean just incredible so uh, good yes just it's just a visual treat to watch in north by northwest the birds or you know the psycho things like that incredible films but he in real life you talk about the only thing that kept him grounded and of course his favorite line i think is that he he's his wife saved him from going queer i believe that was his uh, that was his line uh, uh, that his wife wife had stayed with alma for uh she was the power behind you know, a lot of people think she really kept him grounded and and kept him because he was he was a i'm not sure what happened in his childhood really but he was as odd in real life as you know, it seems and certainly the birds experience tells you that he was a voyeur you know rear window was made into the classic movie it was because that was his sexual taste he liked wow. to watch and so uh you know basically he was in, engaging in kind of an orgasmic fantasy of you know just, you know, he you know, wasn't watching naked women but he was you know kind of observing everybody because that's what he liked to do right. so you know the, the rumor goes that grace county and of course he had a series of these ice ice cold ice blondes uh, you know they call them uh, starting with Grace Kelly, and that uh, he 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 kind of like Benny Hill, I guess, where he he was he didn't know how to even attempt to seduce anybody, so he he didn't really know how to do it, so he would just do weird, creepy stuff because he was Alfred Hitchcock, he got away with it. So, he, right. for instance, and, and he just kind of apparently Grace Kelly, who was uh, in real life, you know, she looked like the epitome of you know class and 
unapproachable, but apparently she had slept with pretty much everybody she worked with in real life. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so but, yeah, but she, but she, uh, so she was cool enough to where uh, she agreed to do a striptease for out from a distance. So that's the, the legend is that he, you know, of course he got off on that. That's what he wanted. Right. And even Norman Bates. I mean, Norman Bates, uh, supposedly that's an illusion to him uh, staring at her in the shower through the keyhole, just uh, self-gratifying. Well, yeah, that, I think it's why it's, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's framed that way. But uh, certainly with Tippi Hedren, he reached his peak. And, you know, I can Tippi Hedren is still one of my all time favorites. I just boy, I just think she's so gorgeous. <laughs> just just incredible. I, I can still watch the birds or Marnie, which is a very strange movie. It's kind of right. disturbing watching. But uh, Ma- Ma- uh, the birds, I just love the film and she's just so lovely in it. But but knowing what happened behind the scenes where he was, you know, t- again, he, he didn't know how to to make advances to women. So and he, you know, he gives her daughter a present uh, where he had this specially made uh, coffin little you know a, a toy coffin a little small coffin with a figurine of her mother in it it's a corpse oh my gosh and so it's like <laughs> that's, that's supposed to turn her on and then of course he uh would uh in the famous scene in the uh in the in the attic in, in the house there where she gets trapped with the birds he insisted on using real birds and they, they caused you know really severe damage to her uh and, and uh you know so this, it's really just incredible i guess that's what made the film so powerful yeah. is that this this real stuff was going on but yeah he was and he was, i think he i think it was to his daughter once he he just did crazy stuff there was in a his, his daughter wanted to ride uh, i think it was an amusement park and it was almost closing and his daughter wanted to ride the ferris wheel again or something so i guess he was getting agitated with her so he let her do it but then he went up to the I guess they were the person that, you know, ran the place and he had them turn all the power off in the amusement park. She was stuck at the top of the Ferris wheel. Oh my and, gosh. You know, I mean, just so, I mean, I don't know who does something like that, but I, <laughs> it was a twisted way to teach her, her a lesson. But uh, so he was a very strange, strange man and uh, in real life. So he, he was pretty much what you saw. I mean, he, he was that odd. And I think that's why he could be so convincing, whether it's a, uh, Alfred Hitchcock presents television show, which which still holds up really well. Yes, you watch him. I mean, and and probably maybe the best parts are his introduction and closing, where he makes a little kind of halfway. Kind of, he was just, and he was probably the first director. I think it's notable. He's the first director that became a star in front of the camera. And you know, when when I was a kid, uh, I he was he was such a personality. I wasn't even really sure what he was when I was real little, but. As a little kid, I loved the Alfred Hitchcock and the three and presents the three investigators mysteries, the books. And uh, he had nothing to do with it. He just lent his name to him. And then I, I used to read uh, the short stories that were a lot of them were turned into Alfred Hitchcock presents episodes. But they, they had, I don't know how many, 50, 100 or whatever these. And I have a bunch of the anthologies of short stories. Alfred Hitchcock presents, you know, some of my favorites in suspense and hangman's dozen and they have all kind of catchy titles and he would always be on the cover of them but you know, he lent himself to merchandising like uh no other director ever had so he became like a genuine star in front of the camera but yeah he's he's uh he might almost be interesting enough to write a biography about it he, he was, he was he said, so many have i know you'd, you'd want to have your new angle to it that's the thing hitchcock is uh i mean everybody tries to understand what's going on in that head yeah yeah 
Um, yeah. Do you think, how does your book, which, um, again, on borrowed fame, um, money, mysteries, and corruption in the entertainment world, how does it compare to Hollywood Babylon? Oh, yeah. People ask me, you know, and I, I was one of my favorite books of all time, <laughs> as you might suspect. I, I remember, yeah. uh, reading it when it first, uh, I think came out in like 1975 and with a, a great cover, if you've seen it, where, uh, Jane Mansfield's boobs are hanging out at a table and <laughs> Sophia, right. Loren, Sophia Loren is looking at them, just clap. And Kenneth Anger is, uh, the guy I wrote, I'm just, he's a fascinating character in himself. I mean, and the thing about it is it's hard to tell how much of Hollywood Babylon is true. Yeah, because uh, uh, it's kind of he made a lot of fantastical claims and it's not like it was really sourced well, but it's it's delicious to consider. I mean, and, and, and again, he's the first one that that really painted Hollywood as this incredibly sexually active place where all these perversions were going on and, and everybody was bisexual. And there's just, you know, it's nonstop <laughs> and people are getting murdered all the time and their cover ups and. So I was fascinated by it, you know, and and uh, as as a teenager, you know, and, uh, and then when I found, you know, he had he had been, I think, it's a child actor. He was in a Midsummer Night's Dream and a couple of films when he was really young. And then I guess he became a writer and he you know, really weird stuff. And uh, I, there's is some, you know, indications he might be a Satanist. I, I don't know. He's a very strange guy in real life. But Hollywood Babylon, man, that's uh, uh, and, and there's a connection there with I think it was. I think it was Chapman, Mark David Chapman, you know, before the Leonard assassination, supposedly went and, and looked at anger up. And I think the rumor is, I haven't booked exactly. The rumor is he showed him some bullets or something and said, these are for John Leonard or something. That's, that's the rumor, you know, oh so why gosh. he would, so maybe he was a fan of Hollywood Babylon. I don't know, but uh, he's very, uh, a very interesting guy. And I think he's still alive. I've certainly loved, in fact, I think I tried to contact him and he's, Shockingly enough, he didn't answer me, but, <laughs> it, it, but I lo love to talk to him. Very fascinating character. Yeah, there, there's so many people in the book. I mean, obviously, we can't get to everything. I mean, you cover Elvis, you cover um, tons of just. I, I was looking over. I mean, you, there's like a Pharrell reference in there. Um, you're talking about Michael. Ja oh my gosh, I love Michael Jackson so much, though he's one of my favorite people. I mean, I, I'm I'm curious if you have anything that I don't know about Michael Jackson. I've I've heard a lot of stuff over the years that, um, you know, there's the stuff that he wasn't actually a pedophile, that he was just a gay guy suppressing that. There's theories that he was murdered. Uh, that's what the family at least said. The yes. mom. Um, I, I have to Well, I have a little bit about that in the book. And I I do think there's some interesting things on the record. Uh, as, uh, his death was definitely suspicious. And his family certainly thinks something was suspicious about it. I mean, I was surprised. The, the open quotes out there. Hunter and his sister and his father. And... Uh, Certainly, it didn't seem to be any reason for him to die the way he did. Apparently, it does. I think just the night before he had done a you know energetic rehearsal, and uh, there you know, and again, it gets into the conspiracy world. Of course, you have two. You, and the one part of the conspiracy world said, "Well, this was an obvious pedophile." You know, he had the he was given the, the little boy's Jesus juice, and you know that kind of stuff, and 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 uh, it was covered up, which it would be, and uh, you know, with somebody that powerful, probably. But uh, and then the other hand, you have him. He was saying things about the, you know, about the Illuminati, and he was he was talking openly about this stuff, and uh, he was talking about the blood suckers like Spielberg and people like that. So 
uh, <clears throat> who knows where it, it, it but all, all we can look at is that he died strangely and uh, it wasn't explained. So I think something's there. I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, I guess it's, I guess it's possible. Maybe an irate parent took him out, but I think it's more likely that, uh, you know, the star whackers were at work and maybe he, uh, maybe did open his mouth too many times and maybe they were afraid he was going to say something. I, you know, all we can do is speculate, but I, I just, just on, on the surface of it, the way it was explained. And I think they found a scapegoat in that doctor. I, I, I just don't think that uh, it, it has been explained at, but you could say that about almost every high profile death in Hollywood. It wasn't explained adequately. And that's why we're still left with questions. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate Donald that you're not saying, well, look, this definitely happened this way. Uh, you leave room for for people to uh, come to their own conclusions, do more research, admit you don't know. Um, here's my question. I mean, why? <laughs> I, I have to know this just because we're talking about Hollywood. So many people right now. I mean, especially. Uh, people on the on the side of things that uh, we'll just say people that support movements like QAnon. They talk about Hollywood. They talk about how it's rave tons of pedophiles. It's been that way for centuries. Um, you know, you can connect it to everything. There are they talk about the Playboy Mansion and the underground tunnels. Yes, we know there were underground tunnels. I guess from uh, the mansion to Jack Nicholson's place, and then some people will be like, and that's where the kids went. Um, look. First of all, address the thing about, is Hollywood full of satanic pedophiles? First question. Second question, if not, uh, why the underground tunnels at the Playboy Mansion? Well, you know, it's a lot of that is, uh, it's kind of like the Beatles, you know. I, I don't think Paul McCartney really died, but they did clearly put out a bunch of, you know, signals and signs that that was happening. I think it was a publicity thing. So I don't know to what extent. Hollywood actors, you see them constantly giving the occult symbolism and the satanic yes. symbolism. They do. Yes. So it, it, what is, is that just, about? Yeah, is it because they don't really know what they're doing? Are they following orders? And they want to keep up the lifestyle? Are they just, I mean, a lot of them, you got to realize a lot of these people, especially, you know, the, you know, the young girls, the Beyonce and uh, Jennifer Lawrence, people like, I mean, I don't think they're rocket scientists. So they may, they may not even be aware. They may think it's cool. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, to do that they're flashing the hand signals around into something maybe they don't even think about it but so i don't i don't necessarily think they've all been uh enrolled in some kind of program and they were supposed to do that but i think the uh again there's a crossover from the political world i uh asked a lot of the child sex scandals in uh hidden history the franklin credit scandal and so many of these that are <clears throat> are very real and yeah. uh, this is this is a real thing with powerful people for whatever reason um from royal family to Hollywood to, you know, to uh, political world, there seems to be, that seems to be the go-to move when, you know, we all have a sex drive. That's why people say about Michael Jackson, you know, everybody has a sex drive. Can't hide it. So, uh, you know, that's why priests, you know, they're not allowed to marry, you know, they're right. a lot of gays and they're around altar boys. That's who gets it. You know, I mean, it's just, they're, they're human right. beings. And, and, and so, it's, you know, it's kind of an unnatural thing. So is, uh, you know, was Michael Jackson, who did he hang around with? Little boys, go back to Lewis Carroll. One of my favorite authors, Alice in Wonderland. Who did he hang around with? Little girls. Right. Who he hung around with. So, I mean, I, I, would you choose to do that? If you, I, I don't know. 
I guess it's possible. Charlie Chaplin, he was having sex oh, with underage women. Oh, yeah, underage. Yeah, the, the, yeah. I mean, that's the other theme in Hollywood, I guess, outside of everybody being bisexual. The ones that weren't apparently all went for underage girls. And Charlie Chaplin, Errol Flynn, uh, you know, tons and tons of them. Yeah, they, they, uh, they really preferred that. And, and, you know, that that's what they went for. So, uh, again, is it because they're freer to engage in these things out there? Do they get tired of normal, you know, so-called normal sex? I don't know. Maybe, you know, they just get bored, you know. And, uh, you know, the, the urban legend about Hugh Hefner was, you know, in, in his uh, last years that the only way he could get aroused, even with all his Viagra, he has to have to watch gay porn. Now, I don't think he was. You know, that's what they used to say. But my gosh, I, I was wow. it because he just got sick of having identical looking playboy playmates of the month for 50 years i don't know I mean, but that's what i was gonna say i mean warren Beatty is credited with having sex over uh, isn't it ten thousand? it's close to ten thousand names i'm pretty sure or ten thousand women um, right yeah wow. so, <laughs> errol flynn errol flynn too and uh jack nicholson's right up there uh uh, uh right on so you know i think at some point probably you uh you who knows? I mean, most of us can never, you know, understand that. But I guess maybe you reach a saturation point. I don't know. But uh, so who knows what you? But um, in terms of, uh, I think that there is in Hollywood you know, people like uh, Corey Feldman certainly alluded to. But Corey Feldman is, uh, you know, I, I tried to get a hold of him too. I would love to talk because he's, he, but he's, he's a self promoter. And it's hard to tell where he's trying to keep his career going to. Right. And, There's that weird thing about Charlie Sheen. Actually, yes. somebody told me to yeah, ask yeah. you about this. Yeah. yeah well, um, that's all I can do is what he said. But he, but he never follows through. He reminds me of Donald Trump, kind of, where he keeps he, titillating people in the neighborhood. Right. But uh, he, uh, he always says, "Well, I've got the list. I'm going to name these people." And he never, other than the Charlie Sheen thing, that's really the only name he threw out there. And then you had, uh, but you have somebody like Isaac Cappy who again crosses over in that political world. It's a guy who was on Alex Jones once. He uh, he was a very marginal figure in film. He was like an extra basically. But he came out and started marketing himself. A lot of a lot of times in Hollywood, a lot of it's just you're struggling. You know, the lobster trying to get out of the you get, you're trying to get recognition amongst all those people. So you say something sensational and Alex Jones, you know, puts you on the show. So you get a little recognition, much more than some other bit player nobody knows. But he uh, supposedly was naming names like Spielberg and people like that. And uh, that, you know, the Tom Hanks, that, that these people are pedophiles. He was calling them pedophiles. And uh, so what happens to him? Well, just like happens in Washington, D.C., he supposedly jumps off a bridge. So, right. you know, it, it, I mean, is that does that mean he was on to something? I don't know. And then you then you look into, uh, you know, the, both Spielberg and Hanks, for instance, you know, Spielberg is. Again, the rumors, you look at one of the deaths I talk about, very strange, uh, Heather O'Rourke, the 12, 13-year-old girl from the Poltergeist. You know, he, he's back. It's back. They're back or whatever. You know, that, that, they're that, here. They're here. Yeah, yeah they're here. Yeah. So uh, she died very strangely. You know, when I, I have got all the quotes in the book from medical professionals say, you know, we, we don't see this. We're at a loss. You know, and, but the rumor is from Isaac Cappy and people like that, that she was being abused. She was a sexual toy of people even like Spielberg in the oh, industry. Oh. And basically she was screwed to death. I mean, that's, that's basically the impression I got. And uh, so, um, you know, but again, it's left it, you know, officially she died of some strange, rare intestinal disorder that the doctors were at a loss to explain. So 
does that mean? I, I don't know. Then you have uh, <clears throat> in people like Feldman and you have uh, just the, uh, the what happens to so many of these 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 child stars. And I, you know, one of one of the people I've become friends with is Paul Peterson, who uh, played uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff on the Donna Reed show back in the day. I grew up watching his reruns and very nice guy. He's been on my show a couple of times and uh, he started a minor consideration which is a really a group that does great work trying to help out a lot of the, the child stars that unfortunately was not able to help people like Gary Coleman and Dana Plato, but he tried and lots mm. of others. And um, so, I mean, when you look at somebody like Dana Plato, I mean, I don't know, but she was a lovely teenager, really gorgeous girl when she was on different strokes. She came from kind of a dysfunctional background. She, again, she's in, it wasn't rich. So, you know, she's in there. They're either wealthy or they come from really, crazy dysfunctional backgrounds and those ones i just naturally suspect groomed they were picked for a reason and the you know they're they're channeled into that activity and uh because they invariably get in her case she spiraled out of control you get into drugs and her life and then she ends up killing herself and her son tragically kills himself like right 15 years later at the same age or something so it's there's a lot of those stories out there. My friend that I talk to all the time, he says, please don't tell me any more stories from your book. I can't handle it, you know, because most of them are sad. And, right, uh, right. I, they weren't, but, you know, it's reality. This is history. Well, what about in, in even, um, you know, Bill Cosby, people had said, and, and with Weinstein and Cosby, great examples here of rumors that had been going around in Hollywood forever. People knew it was an open secret. Um now it didn't penetrate enough to get to the press, but uh, did you did you talk to anybody about stuff like that that eventually just came forth and people were saying, yeah, we knew about that for years? Well, I had uh, again, I have a lot of celebrity um, friends on Facebook, and some of them are nicer than others, and some of them. And uh, I asked because uh, when the Me Too movement was starting, uh, I noticed that a lot of them were saying Me Too and stuff. So I asked Candy Clark, who was um, she was the blonde in American Graffiti. Remember. Oh yeah, she was in and she was not. She had, <laughs> unfortunately, like some of the others, she ended up deleting me on Facebook uh, uh, for my posts on COVID and so forth. I, I lost a lot of friends. I lose a lot of people. Let me tell you over lots of things. But uh, she uh, just couldn't handle it, I guess. But uh, but before that, when she was still friendly, she and I included a quote in the book where I said that he had come on to her too. And so I, I pretty much, I guess, he came on to everybody in Hollywood. And uh, so how he lasted that long, I don't know. But I, what I, my suspicions are raised when these guys ever get caught. Typically, they're above the law. So I, I almost think, you know, why did they suddenly sacrifice him? I don't know. But because uh, I think that's just the way the system is. And uh, if, you know, people like Oprah were involved, for instance, Oprah is involved there. Oprah apparently recruited women. And, uh, you know, she, of course, she's untouchable. So right now, I do find it very odd that when he was in trial, that Michael Jackson documentary came out on HBO, and she was the interviewer of the two boys, um, or the two men, rather, who were boys at the time. Um, but you can't get her to say a thing about Harvey Weinstein. I mean, it over, I, you know, <laughs> she's not my favorite. She's never going to have me on, uh, on on her show and hold up any of my books, I can tell you that. But, uh, you know, I've talked about her in survival of the riches. <laughs> uh, don't have any respect for her. And any, anybody that... Uh, 
that brags and gets the public relations for giving away cars and things like that when she, she did nothing in the, the company. And then she won't even pay the taxes. I don't know if you know the story behind that, but when she gave away cars on her, well, she didn't do it, but you know, Motors or whatever did, she took all the credit for it. And uh, most of the people couldn't accept the gifts because they had to pay the taxes on it. Oh, and like man. she was criticized and saying, why don't you just pay the taxes on it? And she just, she was very, uh, you know, I don't care what they say. I mean, she's very, I have the quotes from Survival of the Riches, but yeah, she's uh, not my favorite person. <laughs> Who do you think people would be the most shocked by in your book? Just, just And you don't have to tell everything because I don't want to spoil everything in the book. But is there one particular person right off the bat that you go, yeah, well, if you knew this story, it's really going to just give you a completely different impression of who they were? Well, you know, you'd have to be a fan of Hollywood because uh, of history of Hollywood, because most really most of it is is. It's about older, you know, stuff. I mean, I, I really go right. back a lot, so I don't talk too much about uh, the modern era of stars. But I, I think that um, to me, the Spencer Tracy. I mean, I, I think it, people who know who he is, I think that would be surprising that he would, you know, be such a nasty person. First of all, that he was so sexually confused. He was married for like sixty years to his wife. Supposedly a good Catholic, but he was supposedly having an affair with Catherine Hesburn, Hepburn, who was one of the biggest lesbians in Hollywood for all those years. And uh, so I don't know what they were doing. I, apparently it was a public relations dream to have him cheating on his wife. I, what sense does that make? But yeah. that's apparently that's apparently what the story was. And they both were apparently closeted gays. And, uh, you know, Scotty Bowers claims he was just, you know, you can read about it in the book, but it's, it's, it doesn't sound real sexy what they would do. It just sounds like he was not a fun person, a terrible person. Oh, drunk. my gosh. So, okay, yeah. 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 <laughs> that, to me, he's the most surprising because I didn't know anybody. And, you know, Because I knew about Wallace Beery and some of the other, you know, there were some, some nasty people in Hollywood. But uh, you certainly have now, you people. People have probably, if you just go on, and I do that a lot just to try to uh, – see the rep because you can get the, the sense of the reputations of a lot of the actors and, and actresses by reading of the fan encounters with them and usually you won't find too many that are hit or miss you know like, like sometimes there's a good thing and a bad thing most of the time like you know everybody that's ever interacted with madonna says she's the biggest bitch in the world i mean that's you know whether they work with her right. fans anybody i mean she treats people horribly always and uh so you have you have things like that and, and that you have, uh, you know, other people that are real nice, like my old favorite, Don Knotts, you know, Barney Fife. And he was the nicest guy in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Candy, another guy I loved. Never, nobody ever had anything bad to say about him. So it's, you know, you look at that. So I, is there anything surprising? I think that, you know, there are good people. And, and really the people that, they, but of course, I never, I, I don't have, the, you know, the, the power, the name power to get anybody really a big star now to talk to me. But uh, lots of the people that I talk with were, you know, they were, they were pretty big in their day. Like, you know, I became really good friends with Susan Olsen, played Cindy Brady in the Brady Bunch. She's, wow. her, she's great. I mean, she, her, she's my buddy. You know, she's, uh, she's, her and I just clicked. <laughs> I talk with her. She's just really cool. We're on the same wavelength. It's I love all, that. Paul Peters. Yeah, she's just really great. I was on her show a couple of times and she's been on my show and she's, uh, she's just really neat, a neat person, very interesting. And uh, so there are people like that and there, but, I really only, you know, I didn't really encounter anybody that was real nasty, you know, so uh, most of them have been at least nice, you know, nice enough. And uh, so I, I think probably that's the way it is out there. There's some, some, diva. And of course, I'm, you know, cause I'm not meeting them, probably the ones at the top, maybe they are pretty much, uh, you know, they're 
deep like behavior and especially like the rock stars i mean i don't know how you could how you could you know at the, at the peak of rock and roll and become that big of a star it'd be kind of hard to be a normal human being you know I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars and people cheering you and you have groupies constantly it'd be hard to act like a normal human being so almost all of them have that attitude but uh you know yeah. I, I really don't even blame them for it if there if you did have in, in all your hollywood travails um if you could if any hollywood star throughout all of time um you had the opportunity to ask them a question and they had to answer truthfully you could get the actual true answer who would the person be and what would that question be don wow that's a man uh, <laughs> i know i knew it was I, gonna be a hard one but i feel like you have somebody that you want the truth about. Yeah, well you know probably my favorite director of all time is frank capra and I probably the reason I would pick him now is because uh, I, my friend Joe McBride, who is uh, one of the many, my friend John Barber, who hosted Real People, he's one of my best friends now. But we have a common interest in the JFK assassination too. Same thing with Joe McBride. Joe McBride worked with Orson Welles. He wrote the screenplay for Rock and Roll High School. He's got, he got a history in Hollywood, but he gravitated to the JFK assassination like me. So you know we kind of met that way, and. Uh, he wrote a, we've kind of discussed Frank Capra because he wrote a very critical biography in Capra where he, he thinks he's a phony and everything. So I think I would try to maybe, and I, you know, of course that hurts me. Capra's my hero, you know, this is, right, uh, right. You know, and uh, I, I, I think I would ask, as I've tried to tell him, well, you know, the, the only common theme in all those movies was Capra. He must've had something to do with it. So um, he must've believed in it to some degree. So I think I would question him about that. You know, what was your, purpose in making these four did you really believe in it or did you really become what mcbride claims is this kind of uh reactionary republican later and did you never really believed in this the little guy and uh you know this populism so that, that would probably yeah. be i mean i, I mean i, I wasn't anticipating that's that's a tough question to answer one person but i i, I think that uh i know you wouldn't go to you know i mean uh, oj well, yeah, well, probably well, maybe carry yeah well maybe, well maybe carry grant you know i might i might say you know what, what's What's going on here? You know, what what do you really feel? Who do you love? I mean, what's the, but you know, he probably wouldn't answer me. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, no, very fascinating interview. I, I really have enjoyed having you on. Wait a minute. You know what? I, I forgot. I got to get one more in. Walt Disney. Walt mm -hmm. Disney. Rumors. <laughs> I don't even know where the rumor that he became, he was an anti-Semite came from. Um, it feels like it was just something that people said, and it makes sense to have, oh, you know, let's take this figure, and yes, he had the communist stuff, um, but this this beloved children's figure and and say, oh, no, he, he hated Jews. Um, first of all, any truth to that? And if not, what else? Anything, anything wrong with him? Well, you know, he, you, there's a lot of things you could say about Walt Disney. There, there's some, you know, including like the supposedly secret or something that's tied into masonry or something at Disney World Landers. I don't know. I've heard something about it. Right. I can't even terrified. But, but uh, the, the thing about him being an anti-Semitic, I don't understand that at all. Because, you know, all of Hollywood really were on board from the – even before we entered World War II, they were on board. I mean, you know, the, the Three Stooges and Tarzan and uh, Charlie Chaplin. I mean, they were they were condemning Hitler before we got involved in the war. And yes. uh, Walt Disney made a one Donald Duck cartoon, if you've seen it, 
where it, it, the spoof of Nazism and the like the swastikas are everywhere on the clocks and everything, and he's Heil Hitlering alarm clock. Yeah, it's a parody. I remember that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I don't that to me that I don't know what, what that was if he hated Jews, but uh, and and Disney and I, I think I brought this up in uh, Crimes and Coverups in American Politics, 1776, 1963, which has a forward by Ron Paul. Uh, that uh, I, I talk in there a little bit about that. And uh, the, 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 during World War II, the studios were so entrenched with the government and the war effort that Walt Disney had a permanent uh, uh, government people, I think it was military, at the studio all the time that were stationed there watching wow. what they were doing. So if he was anti-Semitic, I, I, I don't know how he fit that in. And I don't, if you look at the, the product, Disney was, um, Disney was an unusual guy, you know, and that he was, uh, he wasn't overtly, like, he wasn't really like a Christian guy. You don't see too many yes, references right. to Chris. Yeah, he, he was, in fact, he was talking a lot about science and everything. And of course, there's a rumor, the urban legend that he had his body uh, cryonically preserved. You know, I go into that a little bit too, but uh, it, it apparently is a, a legend. But uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's unfair. And I think it's because, especially today, the woke left that's in charge. I think they want to try to diminish anything that's considered traditional. Certainly Disney movies are considered pure right. and wholesome and they just want to try to make that look bad. So, but I don't, I, I, I don't know that Disney ever addressed anything in any, any of his movies or TV shows that could be considered anti-Semitic. I, I don't understand that one. All. I think it's unfair. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, so I guess Song of the South is really probably the the worst thing of the Walt Disney. Uh, oh legacy. yeah, I mean, that's the one in the vault. But that has nothing to do with Jews. But it's not anti-Semitic. Yeah, <laughs> it's anti a whole other group of people. But yes, exactly. yes, yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Don, Donald, Donald Jeffries. The author of uh, so many interesting books, and the most recent being on borrowed fame, money, mysteries, and corruption in the entertainment world. Uh, it looks like you could get it pretty much anywhere fine books are sold. Um, but I also know that we're going to link to your Twitter page, and you're also writing on Substack. Could you speak a little bit about uh, what people can find there? Well, yeah, you can find me, and if you want to find various reasons to object to me and cancel me, you can. I get canceled by the left and the right all the time. <laughs> uh, I'm used to it. I can take it. My family canceled me. It's Donald Jeffries uh, Media there, and uh, you'll find uh, my latest one uh, I wrote earlier. Got a lot of good play. Was uh, I just wrote it a few days ago? Was what if they gave a war and nobody knew? Where I basically declared we're at World War Three and we don't even know it. So. <laughs> oh there, my gosh! And read it and and, and uh, get what would you want out of it. But I I look at things differently, and I uh, people don't know what to make of me. They don't know how to categorize me. I'm uh, I'm basically independent minded, and I don't I won't be categorized. So I love it. stay that way. We need more voices like this. Uh, thank you, Donald, for coming on the show. Thank you for investigating Hollywood like you have, and and all these topics. And uh, yeah, I, I really I really appreciate the discussion. This has been great. It's my pleasure. Uh, anytime. Thanks for having me, Greg. Sure thing. Don Jeffries. Thank you so much for coming on. So grateful that we've now moved past an era of crime and corruption and deceit. And now in Hollywood, instead, we have 
Spiritual Courses in Scientology. Maybe they'll get there one day. I'd like to thank Ronnie McGilvery for the theme music. I'd like to thank you for listening. And you know what? I want to thank Dad for having me watch all those films as a kid. I appreciate the Illuminati and satanic symbology. It starts young.